What we're going to do today is I'm going to take you to a familiar portion of Scripture, but we're going to look at it a little differently. And today, I want to start with this. What's our purpose? What's your purpose? What's your purpose? I had a student ask me this week. They said, what do you think my purpose is? I said, well, I know what I need you to do. I, I got a purpose for you. But guess what? God has a purpose for you. God does have a purpose for you. He made each of us so unique. You know, it's a, science is amazing. It's so fascinating. And when you get into the details of that, and you think about how humans, how we are even developed and born, and, you know, once, I don't know what kids are in here, but once that baby's formed, unique. Never existed on the planet before. Unique. You know, the heart starts beating at 18 days. Fingerprints are in there before, you know, we even, a lot of times they even know they're pregnant. And those fingerprints are, ident- they're, they're unique. No one else ever created has those. The retina, completely unique. The personalities. How many of you have more than one child? <laughs> How many of you know your children are different? Raised in the same home, same rules, same everything. And you're like, who is this kid? This is your kid. You know, you turn to your wife, you're like, this is your kid. Your kid did this today. And the reason we do that kind of thing is because everybody's so different. The personalities God gives us, and he gives them to us for a reason. The gifts and the skills and the abilities. I mean, everybody has something to contribute. And a lot of times, we look at other people's skills and all that. I mean, you might look at the worship team and think about the instrumentalist or the vocalist, and you think, oh, I wish I had that. And when we do that, we, we, we unfortunately sometimes cheat ourselves out of the reality that God has given you something to contribute. And it may be different than what's up here, but it's still important. And it has a part to play somewhere in the body of Christ. That's how he does it. When I was asking you about purpose, I was actually asking a broader question. Why does, why does this church exist? Do you ever think of that? You know how many churches are in town today? You know how many churches I drive by on the way here to our church? I mean, I literally drive by, and some of them are assembly God churches. Two. Two, actually. <laughs> it's two. Two. I could go a different route and pass four, but there's two on my way to church. Why do we exist? But that's not really my question today. We'll talk more about that if you come to Growth Track in a little bit. But, but what I'm really asking is why does the church exist? I'm talking about the church. Like the one we talked about when we were introducing communion. I said churches all around the world. Everybody who calls themselves Christian. The church universal. Why does the church exist? How did this thing get going? And why are we even here and remember, we talked about this, you know, a lot years ago, but we're not talking about a building. I'm not talking about this building. This building's amazing. You know how many compliments we get on this building? People say, your church is beautiful. And I say, really? You're right. I, I mean, I always try to acknowledge that. You should see the people. I mean, you're pretty too, but I'm, t- I'm not talking about that even. I- I'm talking about you, this body of Christ. This is an amazing group of people. What I, what's burning inside of me, and it's, it's hard to hold in, as I said, if you knew them, you would want to be part of them because they are amazing. And yes, there's wonderful churches everywhere. I just don't know them. I know these guys, and this group of people is phenomenal, and this is the church. But why do we exist? Why is it about these people? You know what's interesting is that word, and we've talked about this before, but that word in Greek, church, that gets translated church all the time, in, the, in Greek, it's ekklesia. It didn't actually mean building. It had nothing to do with a building. What it had to do with was a group of people who are, who are gathered together for a purpose and try to accomplish a goal. 
Before the church, before it was in the Bible and translated church, it was most used in a political context where people would gather for a purpose and they had an idea in mind and that would gather them together and it would motivate them to do something. Does that sound like us? It should. What's our purpose? Why were we gathered together? Why did Jesus put this thing together? He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And he didn't mean a building. He didn't mean a denomination. He meant you, not just you, but us, all of us as a group, the Christians all over the world. And why? Why do we exist like that? What is the point? Man, it it just makes me excited thinking about it. What are we supposed to be doing? Here, you can talk in church. What, What are we supposed to be doing? What's our purpose? Somebody help me out. Preaching the world. Okay. Maybe you should raise your hands. No, I'm just kidding. But let's, okay, you said a lot of true things and you're exactly right. One of the things Jesus said is people will know us by our love. I mean, one of the other things you think about, when he sent his disciples out, he told them to preach the good news that the kingdom had come and he told them to teach people what he was teaching and then that they would be part of the kingdom. Context means everything. I mentioned that when, when uh, we, you know, we use certain verses and the reason we did more than one verse a lot of times is because it gives us context. We're already in the political season. When is the election? I mean, how long ago is this? How, how, how long do we have to hear this stuff? It's a long time, right? And you're going to hear a lot of politicians, both sides, but you'll hear a lot of politicians taken out of context. And what will happen is they'll cherry pick a word or a sentence or an attitude or something and then try to act like that applies to their whole character and everything that they meant. And you know that's not true. It's almost like you can't trust anything that would fit on a bumper sticker because it's probably not true. There's more to it than that. It's way more complicated. And the scriptures are the same way and context means everything. We, we love certain verses. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you know the greater context, it gives meaning and depth to what's being said in the Scripture. You know how it is, right? You walk up, and somebody's telling you something, and they're obviously really passionate about it. Like those of us who went and helped, and we worked on that, that uh, kitchen in Jamaica a few weeks ago. We want to tell you about the trip. And I've noticed people have stopped asking me, how was your trip? <laughs> it's still important to me. I lived it. I was there. And there's things I'd like to tell them and explain to them, but, but they weren't there. You know, you get to that point, and you're talking to somebody, and you can tell their eyes are kind of glazing over, and they're thinking about something else. And what do you say? You had to be there. It's context. Have you walked up, and you, heard a, you, you walked up late to a crowd, and they said one word, and then everybody starts laughing, and you're like, what? What? And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, he, he, uh, you, never mind, because you weren't there. Context. You have to have the context. So here's the context for the verses we're going to look at today. Jesus had already had his three and a half years of ministry. He had had that mock trial and all that, and then his crucifixion, which we celebrated today with communion. And then he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. The disciples weren't sure it was going to happen. They were, they, were, they were surprised by it. And then when it happened, it changed everything. And then all of a sudden, they're just, oh my gosh, he raised from the dead. And then Jesus started appearing to people. It's interesting. He appears first to Mary Magdalene, then the other women at the tomb, then Peter in Jerusalem, then to two travelers on the road to Emmaus, then the 10 disciples behind closed doors, and then the 11, because remember, Thomas wasn't there the first time, and Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the scars, put my fingers in those scars. So Jesus appears, and he says, here I am, Thomas. Ooh, embarrassing, huh? (laughs) Like, awkward. Uh, Did I say that out loud? I can't believe I said that. Um, Jesus, hi. And Jesus said, put your fingers in my hands. Put your 
I don't know what side it was. He didn't tell us. But put your hand in my side. (laughs) Then he appears to seven disciples while they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And then this verse happens. We don't know for sure how many were there. The disciples are mentioned, but it could have been more. The reason I say it could have been more, I'll get to in a minute, but the reason it could have been more is because of what he says and the way he talks and some of the nuances we see in the verses there. But here's how it reads in scripture. It says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. You need context yet? You know what happened, right? They had seen the resurrected Jesus already. And he told them to go to Galilee and meet them there and that he would be there. It wasn't like before. Before when Jesus lived with them, he was with them 24-7. I don't know if you realize that. That's how they did it. He tra- they traveled together. They slept in the same place. They ate the same food. They, they went everywhere together. And now it's different. Jesus had died. He rose from the dead. And they had seen him a few times. And when they saw him, they recognized him, but, but it was changed. Everything was changed. So he shows up right here, and it says they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. That's why some people think, well, first of all, the word doubted there, it's translated doubted in the English, but the word is actually only used a couple times in the New Testament, and what it really means is hesitated. You ever cliff jumped? Who's cliff jumped before? Who would never, ever do that? And you think we're nuts. Okay. Those of you who have done it, you know how it goes, right? The first guy gets up there and looks down. What does he do? I mean, there's certain people, of course, they just run off. They don't care. But I'm just talking to a normal person. You look down and you think, wonder if it's going to sting. Wonder how deep it is. You've checked the depth, but still, right? But still, you hesitate. Do you believe? Do you know you're going to be okay? Well, yeah, you saw the other guy jump. But still, you have to, how many of you done this? <laughs> this is more embarrassing, but how many of you ever jumped over stuff, like as a kid? Hopefully not an adult. Most of that doesn't end well. <laughs> Ends up on, on America's Funniest Home Videos. But you know how you run up to something in the last minute you stop? Yeah. Why? Why do you stop? Because you're not sure. Yeah, there's fear, and, and you're wondering. And I think in, internally your mind does something, this calculation, like this weight, this body over that thing, not going to happen crumpled cracked bones yeah that's what happened they hesitated so some people think what had happened was the 11 had already seen jesus risen they recognized him saw him but some of the crowd who were following them because there's another passage in scripture where it says 500 people saw him at one time this could have been that moment and I'll tell you why in a minute, why you, we, this could have been that moment. But regardless, what it says is that they hesitated. It was indecision, not unbelief. Why did they leave that in the Bible? Wouldn't you just take that out? I mean, that's embarrassing, right? If you're trying to start a religion and you're making this stuff up, you would take that out. The truth is, that's what happened. Matthew's an eyewitness, and he just reported what happened. That's one of the things that you look at Scripture and you realize... This is a true story because nobody would put that embarrassing stuff in. They just put it in because it's what happened. You know why else I'm glad it's in there? I, got a, I have a reason. How many here have hesitated? I'm talking about in your faith. I'm talking about times where you knew God was calling you to something or, or you have followed him for a long time or it comes to a big decision and you, you hesitate. 
Why do you hesitate? Do you still believe? Yes. Are you still a Christ follower? Yes. But we all hesitate. The truth is, them seeing the resurrected Christ, having lived with him for three and a half years before that, didn't make them super Christians. I know, as you look around this room, and probably somebody in your memory, maybe an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, or somebody you know is a better Christian than you, right? And you look at them and you think, they probably never, ever sin, right? Never, ever have a bad thought, Right? Probably never, ever make a mistake. They have never, ever anything to apologize for. They probably live a perfect life. Well, guess what? That's not true. The fact is, all of us hesitate from time to time. When I read this scripture, I look at that, and doubt it is a horrible translation. I don't know why it's like that, but it is. It's hesitate. And the fact is, you could even say doubt. That's fine. Because what happens when you doubt, you hesitate. And you stop. I doubt I can do it. I doubt I can follow through. I doubt I can live up to this. I doubt that it's going to work. And when we do that, it's just human nature. And Jesus didn't even correct them for it. There's other times he did correct their doubt. Remember? Remember, remember the one time where they brought someone to Jesus and they, the, the, the father, I think it said, you know, that they couldn't cast the demon out of my child. And Jesus said, well, this comes by prayer and fasting. And he scolded them. Well, how come you don't have enough faith? That would have been embarrassing, right? Here he didn't do that. Why not? Because I think he knows who we are. And he made us. And he knows. And I think he's patient with us. What I love about it, too, is there's something I really want to emphasize. And it was in that second song in our worship set at the end there. And it talks about Jesus' presence. There's power in his presence. There's a reason we sang that song and prayed with Jesus' name today. It's his presence changes everything. They may have doubted, hesitated, but that was Jesus, and he came to them. You know what I love about it, too? He didn't say, hey, guys, I'm over here. Come over here. He came to them. You realize that separates Christianity from every other faith. Every other faith says you have to work your way to God. Christianity, God being perfect, created you, wants relationship, and he comes to you. Jesus told the parable of the lost son. We call it the prodigal son. The whole idea behind that parable is the fact that, that, that the, the father ran to the son. God runs to us. Jesus, even in this example here, he goes to the disciples. He goes to the doubters. I love that about him. He knows my weaknesses and my failures, and he still comes to me. The resurrection didn't transform these these hesitating, fearful disciples overnight. It was a process. It was his presence that made the difference. Sometimes I know even for us as we're worshiping, we're singing songs, we're actually saying words that maybe we don't fully believe at the moment. We, we want to believe them. We know they're the right things, but for whatever reason, maybe there's, maybe there's something going on in your life or a failure or you're disappointed or maybe there's a tragedy or a, or a huge issue happening. And so as you're singing those words, you want to full-throatedly sing it and with your, all your heart, but you're singing it because you know it's the right thing to do. But there's a hesitation there. And guess what? He knows that. And as you come to him, he's already coming to you. Talking about, and I, I, I'm going to apologize in advance. I do not want to offend anybody. But, but again, context is important. I remember I used to always hear, you know, good, good people. And I know what they mean. 
they would say something like, well, there's more of two of us here, so God's here, Jesus is here. And what they're talking about, there's this verse in Matthew 18 that says, where, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the presence of them. And if you isolate that one verse, that one sentence, it sounds like if there's two or more of us, Jesus shows up. What does that also say then, if that's true? That's the only time he's around? He's not there for me when I'm alone? Please. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, that verse in context has to do with discipline. That verse is talking about if if there's a brother who's offended, you go to him in person and then you try to make it right. And if that doesn't work, go to someone else, take them, try to make it right. If that doesn't work, take them before the church. Then he says, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the presence. That's how that fits in scripture. It's actually talking about the fact that in their court system of the day, you had to have two or three witnesses to validate something. That's what he was talking about. His presence is always here. His presence is what makes the difference. His presence is what changed those doubters, those hesitators, into full believers. That's what changes everything. It's his compassion. It's who he is. His presence dispels fear. His presence changes the heart. He promised his presence always through the Holy Spirit. He told us in John chapter 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never ever leave you never he's the holy spirit who leads us into all truth the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him but you know him i love this part because he lives with you now and later will be in you he's in you he's with you And I love this too. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. (laughs) I love this part because I think about the fact that what's the Holy Spirit do? It's about presence. It's about Jesus. And he's going to be with you. So when is Jesus with you? Okay. And when, (laughs) what's the Holy Spirit going to talk about? Truth. Yeah, what Jesus said. He's going to talk about Jesus and Jesus' truth. He's going to talk about Jesus. He points to Jesus. It all comes down to Jesus. He's the focus. He's always the focus. Always. At this class in college, uh, and the, the, the professor would always start off, he would say, what's the answer? And I would always say, Jesus. And he got irritated with me. And then... He would say, what's the question? I said, any question. I remember one time he he held me back. He's like, why do you always say that? It's ridiculous. I said, well, if you knew him, you wouldn't say that. If you knew him, you wouldn't say that. So, you know, of course, he got real specific. Well, how does he answer this question? You're like, well, is it really about math? Is that really what you're talking about today? Because I'm talking really, you know, metaphysically and way deeper than that. But he is the answer. It's always about Jesus. Other religions say that they will point to God. Jesus said, I am God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am he. Jesus said that. He left no wiggle room there. His presence is what fuels us. It's what encourages us. It's what draws us. It's what, it's what, it's what keeps us going when we have the hesitations. It's what helps us live out the Great Commission in whatever form or fashion. The fact is, he is it. Is he there when you feel him? How about when you don't feel him? <laughs> yes. It's so hard, though, because there's times when you don't feel it, but he's still there. 
It's so hard. I've, I've heard of this saying, like the dark night of the soul. There's these, you know, like maybe some Christian is going through a problem. And they feel like their prayers bounce off the ceiling and they can't feel God. And they pray and pray and pray and they don't, they don't feel it. Or maybe worship seems hollow or they try and it's just not working. And they, I've, I've talked to a lot of people like this and they say, I just don't feel him. Like, I know, but he's still there. It's, it's like a love relationship with a husband and wife. It's, it's not always roses and you know, rose petals and uh, th- all that. It, it ebbs and flows. It, you're still there. He never changes. He's always there. He's faithful to the end. I love that he draws near. He's the one who initiates it, and it's his presence that changes everything. Whether you feel him or not, he's been there, he is there, and he will be there. You can't go anywhere that he is not there. The next verse in this series. So first of all, Jesus comes to them, and this is what he says. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. you got to remember the scene here. They're seeing a man who was dead and then rose from the dead. They're seeing a man who has appeared to them behind locked doors. When he says this, you think they believe him? Oh, yeah. Do you think that him raising from the dead validates everything he said? Yes. When he says all authority is his, what that means is, you can say it a lot of different ways, but he is the man. How much authority? All there's no wiggle room there. There's no, what if it doesn't feel right? Uh, he's still got all the authority. What if it didn't seem right? It's still him. What if it didn't look right? He's still got it. How did he prove it? He rose from the dead. It'd be one of those things like, have you ever been somewhere, you walked in somewhere, and they're like, what are you doing here? I'd be saying, I'm with him. I got no authority. He's got authority. He rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, that validated every single thing he ever said. And what it means is that, that he goes from wherever he was to the top. There's no one there above him. He's automatically in charge. You want to give you some synonyms? He's the boss. All right? He's the top banana. The big kahuna, the big cheese, the man of the hour, the VIP, the BMOC, the prom king, the king of the world, the top dog, head honcho, a big enchilada, man of the hour, the king of kings. The Lord of Lords, there's no one above him. He has all authority. He rose from the dead. Everything he said is true. He's mighty God, Savior, Lord of Lords. Because of this authority, his words matter. It's almost like he had to remind him, hey guys, I was dead. You saw it happen. And now look at me. Look at who I am today. He's leveraging everything now on the marching orders I mean, he's leveraging everything on the fact he rose from the dead, and he's going to tell them something that's super important. These are some of the last words he ever spoke. If, if it's not heavy enough yet, you have to understand, this is huge. Now, didn't he always have all authority? I mean, he's God. But look at what he did. He laid down his authority. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Born as a human being. The God of the world, the one who created human beings, comes in human form and has to have his diapers changed. Talk about humble. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He never sinned, but he paid our price for sin. That's who he is. And so because of that, that authority that he had is now back. That authority that he had laid down is his. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. 
That's why if you're ever in a spiritual situation and encountering, encountering the enemy, you better be doing it in Jesus' name because he's the one with the authority. He gives us the authority, but he's the one who has the authority. He says, if he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, guess what? I believe him. I believe him. He has the authority. If he says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, then that's the gospel. That's the truth. And what he says next matters. Here's what he says. Therefore, what's the therefore? You ever ask that in literature? If there's a therefore, it's got to be there for a reason. What's it there for? So what's it there for? He just said, I have all authority. I have the authority. So therefore, because I have the authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And I left off the last part of verse 20 there. Your memory verse for this week is this, but also the last part of verse 20, which we'll get to in a minute. So what's he telling us to do? There's a lot in that, isn't there? Who's an English teacher here? What's the main verse there? (laughs) Let's get to this. He says to make disciples. He says to make disciples. Who are we supposed to make disciples of? All nations, right. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower, a Christ follower, a learner. What's interesting about this is it's supposed to be an ongoing life position that you have where you continue to learn. Do you realize we never become the, the authority here? He has the authority. We are the disciples. We're lifelong learning. And the best model is to do it the way Jesus did it. What did he do to his disciples? He told them as he called them. He said, come and see. Basically, come live with me. See how I live this life. Come and see what my worldview is and my values. You can see it in every way I, what I talk. You can see it when I'm at my worst. You can see it when I'm at my best. <laughs> you can see it when I go to Walmart or when I go to Target. Whoever I encounter, whoever I treat, whichever way, do it as I do it. He's basically saying, try it. You'll like it. Watch me and do what I do. That's why when the disciples, they had... <clears throat> This is after, this is in the book of Acts, and they'd gone through the temple. They were going there to pray, and they see this beggar on the edge there, and he, he looks at them, and they look at him, and he thinks he's going to give him money, and Peter says, I don't have anything to give you, but what I have, I will give you. Stand up and walk, and he walks, and then they get put on trial for that, as if they were breaking the law, and then when the, they had seen the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's discipleship. They had been with Jesus. They have been with Jesus. If you want to do discipleship the way Jesus did, you've got to be with a Christian person and live their life the way they live it. It's powerful. That's how he did it. That's how they did it. They were supposed to be going. Here's something else to think about, though. It does start off with the go. Therefore, go. And in the Greek, it actually says, as you are going, do these things. We don't get all that in English sometimes, you know, it'd be too long. But it does say, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey everything that I taught you. It's assumed you're going to go. And as you're going, you're going to be baptized in the teaching. You're going to make disciples while you're going and baptizing and teaching. It's about your lifestyle. You're going to pass on all of your lifestyle to them, you as Christians. You got it from him. You're going to pass it on to them. That's how it works. How do we do it? Well, we're actually doing it right now. (laughs) What's happening right now is you're hearing some teaching. You're getting taught some things in this room. For most of us as Christians, unfortunately, this is all. 
Now, what's funny about that, I say that, but then I was thinking about, you know, Simon's not feeling well, but that brother watches Christian TV all day long. I go over to his house, basically we watch preachers, and he goes, I like this guy. I'm like, well, me too. You can find the best preachers in the world. You can go online, you can do whatever. And that can be discipleship as well, but it's different when you're outside the context of a group like this where you're known and, and people know you. It's about this, but it's, it's more than this. We have discipling going right on right now upstairs in kids' church. Our children are being taught and they're being discipled. We have connect groups that meet Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, Thursdays. We have Fearless for Women, Iron Men for Men. We have Breakfast for Men. We have Basketball. We have Young Adults. We have Emerged Student Ministry. We have, we have Rangers and the, the Girls' Ministry Impact and JBQ. And we're going to be doing these classes on margin. That is all discipleship. We have opportunities for you to volunteer, and when you do that and you join and do an outreach together, you are part of the discipleship process because you are living out the very heart of God. That's discipleship. Sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's less than that. Sometimes it's as simple as coffee with a friend and you're discussing scripture or a life issue. Sometimes it's highly organized and you work through a book and you do this, this, and this, and this, and it's very scripted. Sometimes it's less organized. Sometimes it's random and natural. Jesus didn't have workbooks. You realize that, right? He walked along and taught them as they lived. And he said this and he said this. And they asked him a question and he answered it. And there was a situation and then they talked about it later. It wasn't quite the same as what we have sometimes today. Sometimes it's self-directed. For some of you, you're using that YouVersion Bible app, and I encourage you to use it. There's other good Bible apps. It's just the one that I, that I like the most because I use it the most. I use it for our sermon notes. If you didn't know that, you can go on there in the menu, and you can pull it up, and the sermon notes are right in there. You know what I love? People are getting the hang of this, and we do some Bible studies. There's times where we might do a, a Bible reading plan together. I got invited to a Bible reading plan from one of the sixth grade girls in our church. She, I got this email that said, so-and-so wants you to read this Bible reading plan with her. And I'm sure she invited a lot of people to it. And what I love about that is she is being discipled and using the technology today that's available to be discipled in a way that didn't even exist when we were kids. I love it. And if she's doing that now, how much is she going to grow in Christ and become more and more transformed with an image of Jesus as she grows older? What a beautiful thing. It says to be baptized. Why? What's that about? I don't even want to get into the water, no water, sprinkle, whatever. That's not the point. The point is it's an illustration. It's It's a demonstration, kind of the symbolism like we talked about with communion. But the same thing is true with baptism where you die to your sins and go under the water and then you rise to a new life. It's supposed to show... In, in, in a symbol, what happened to you internally in your relationship with Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, and you're a, you're a believer, and you've, you've asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you from your sins, you're living for him, we want you to be baptized. We'll have a baptism in the, in the next few weeks, and we want you to be baptized. Some people ask me, well, I was sprinkled as a kid or baptized as a kid. It didn't really mean anything to me. Should I do it again? You know what? If you want to, we'll do it. <laughs> we will. That's fine. Can you be a casual disciple? No. Nope. I wrote nope. It's not a class you could audit. It's kind of like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. I like to walk up to a guy and say, is this the first time you've been pregnant? And they... <laughs> you can't skim this book. It's not a cliff note thing. To, to be a disciple, at least what Jesus was talking about, is it means you follow him as Lord. You walk with him and it changes Everything. Everything. It informs your politics. It informs your marriage. It informs the way you view the world and the way you, you view everything. It changes everything. 
It doesn't mean every Christian is going to look exactly the same. But the fact is, it changes everything. Being a Christ follower means you submit to his lordship. I mentioned Thomas earlier, and when he did see Jesus' scars and put his fingers in there, he blurted out, my Lord and my God. No good Jew would say that unless it was actually God. (laughs) The last part of that verse says this. So you're going to memorize this with this. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We started this sermon talking about Jesus' presence and the fact that his presence takes away the hesitation and doubt. The truth is he's with us all the time. His presence makes the difference. His presence is about assurance. His presence is the fact that he's always with us. We're never alone. No one's expected to do this on their own or in their own power or be a one-man show. It doesn't exist in Christianity. The fact is he is always with you. Always. No matter what you're going through, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it seems like, no matter how disappointed you are or happy you are, no matter what, he is there. Always, always there. You're not the hero. He is. He's the hero. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I want you to think about this with me. Are you a disciple? Are you a Christ follower? Are you? And that's a question really for everybody. No, no matter how long you've been in church or, or not, are you really following him? Are you doing the things necessary to grow in your faith and to become more and more and more like him? And I'm not talking about a checklist. I'm not asking how many services you come to or if you're in a connect group or if you're not or any of those things. That's not what I'm really saying. What I'm asking is, are you submitted to him and following him as the ruler and king and lord of your life? <clears throat> If you are doing that, would you just raise your hand? I'm just curious. How many of you in the room feel like you could be doing a better job of that? Yeah, my hand is up with you. Let me ask one more very serious question. You might be here today and maybe, maybe you're not a disciple at all, but you know you need to be. Maybe you have this sense even inside that you're maybe a, a restlessness or a burning and you're like, I need to do this. Maybe God is right now speaking to you in a deep, personal way between his spirit, your spirit, and calling you to this life to give up living for yourself and to live for him. And maybe for you, you want to join us in following Jesus like that. Is there anyone in the room like that? If you would raise your hand, we would would pray with you right now for that to happen. I do see the hand in the back there. Anybody else? You realize you need to become a disciple today doesn't mean you're going to be perfect today. doesn't even mean you have to join this church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you joining his church. Anybody else? All right, let's do this. For those, those of you, that there was a couple at least that raised their hands. I want, I want to pray with you, and then we're going to pray for the rest of us. But the first thing we're going to do is if you have raised your hand and you want to become a disciple today, I want you to especially pray this prayer. We're going to, I want you all to repeat after me and What we're going to pray, we're just going to simply admit the fact that we need him, that we've done things wrong, and we need him to come in and apply that sacrifice that we celebrated at communion to our life today. So if you would all repeat after me, then I'm going to pray for all of us as we dismiss the service. So just repeat after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I want to live for you. I want to be a disciple. I want you to forgive me for all my sin and make me new.
In Jesus' name, amen. With your eyes still closed, if, if you were one of those that raised your hand, I'd love to talk to you or one of the other pastors that were up here today or, or you know, any of these other Christians you could talk to. But we just want to talk to you a little bit about that. And we'd love to see you be, a, be attending here on a regular basis. For the rest of us, I just want to close this part in prayer and then Pastor Jeremy's going to close the service for us. <clears throat> Father, we all want to follow your son closer. We want to be a disciple of Jesus. So grateful for his presence in the middle of everything that happens in our world and in our life. And I'm so grateful that, that your love extends beyond and, and past and through and in spite of me and my actions. And God, I ask that in the name of Jesus that you would, would continue to draw us into your presence. That we would continue to refine us and change us. And, and speak to us about the things that we need to correct. And, and Father, I just pray that you would help us to lay down the things that we have put over you and in place of you. And that you would make us more and more like you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.